0: And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's a l l b i r d dot code SUPER24. Coming up on episode 221 of Bearings, you've got the brand new Nissan Frontier, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, also the 2023 Acura Integra. We talk about how we t- review our cars. And uh, we also have a bunch of news from the LA Auto Show, including interviews with Mark Tripp and Cooper Erickson from Toyota and Henrik Fisker, CEO and founder of Fisker Inc., all about the new Fisker Ocean EV. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you, and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com/wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 221 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Aboual-Samit of Guidehouse Insights.
1: And I am Nicole Wakeland from Autobital.
2: And I'm Roberto Baldwin from uh, Engadget.
0: And uh, this week, Nicole and I are sitting in the same room again, this time in Encinitas, California,
2: (laughs) where we're uh,
0: in a couple of hours going to see a new Toyota. Uh, But uh, Robbie, why don't we start with you this week?
2: Oh, uh, for things I'm doing or things I've done?
0: (laughs) Have you driven anything?
2: (laughs) I That's haven't nice. driven anything. <laughs> I drove the EQS, okay. and then they took it away. And then um, now I'm uh, I'm getting ready to go to the World Car of the Year Awards um, drive, which means I'm going to drive 8, 10, like 15 cars over the course of two days. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it because you get an hour at each car. You go up Angeles Crest Highway, up and down Angeles Crest Highway, so you get this really nice road to drive it on. Um, and then you know, at the end of the year, we we vote, and then you know they figure out like the finalists, and then I got those cars again. I get them to my house usually for a few days, and I drive those again. It's all very exciting. Um, I think a, a, a lot of um, there are a lot of Car of the Year awards. Uh, publications have their own. There's a North American Car of the Year, um, and I, I think for the automakers, it's it's a it's a pretty big deal because it gets them it gives them the opportunity to say, Hey, look, our car. Was liked by a lot of different people, and with World Car, it is actually people from all over the world. So we have cars, we have a right-hand drive uh, Volkswagen. We'll be driving, Ooh. so that'll be fun.
0: That that is one of the cool things about World Cars that it's not restricted just to what's available for sale here in the U.S. It's stuff that's from Asia and Europe and and everywhere.
2: Yeah, I got to drive the 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 Jimny. Oh, this is Suzuki. Sweet. Yes, a couple of years ago, and that was uh, everyone loved it because it was such. It was something that you couldn't you, you you know you couldn't get here in the United States, and it was just essentially like a tiny Wrangler. Yeah. And you're like, this is this is the car. This is the little Jeep that you take. Well, I guess not a Jeep. This is the uh, the SUV the you take to the beach. To, yeah. This is the Suzuki you take to go to the beach and eat tacos. Is what <laughs> I I decided. It's like you just take the top off. You grab a bunch of friends. You get some tacos. You go driving around the beach. At the end.
0: I think that the Jimny if i'm not mistaken is even smaller than the sidekick that they used to sell here back in the 90s right
2: yeah 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 it's it's a it's a pretty tiny car it's it is not made it's funny cuz you drove it i drove it up angeles crest highway and it's not really made for driving up angeles <laughs> crest highway <laughs> that's not its natural habitat <laughs> So, but, you know, you still, you know, you, you, you can, when you have the same road, you, you're able to sort of judge uh, steering and, uh, and, and, and suspension and, and wheel and everything, you know, the whole everything, because you're doing the same road over and over and over again with a bunch of different cars, so you can sort of judge them on um, where they belong within both their segment and as a car, as a vehicle at large.
0: Cool. All right, well, Nicole, what have you been driving
1: Well, it's actually what I drove just before the last time we podcasted, but I couldn't really talk about it yet because the embargo is about to lift. Um, But I can talk about it now. So I was in the 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Um, It's all new. They took us out to Moab so that we could give it a go. Um, it's, It's a Jeep. It does Jeep things. So it has that kind of capability uh, and it, they do let you, you know, you don't go on a drive program for Jeep and they just have you drive on like a tiny little dirt trail. They really make you drive at someplace where you have to have some capability and you've got spotters there telling you, you know, turn the wheel a little bit left, turn the wheel a little bit right. So it, it really did do what you would expect a Jeep to do. Um, it has the capability to climb up rocks and steep ascents. and loose gravel and all that stuff how many people will do that in a grand cherokee kind of like with the wagoneer and the grand wagoneer who really knows Uh, but if you wanted to you could Um, i liked it i think the thing that they did that was really kind of cool is they made it much better on the inside like it wasn't as if it was bad before but now they've used even higher quality materials it feels like more money than it actually is and it's not cheap the base trims start off somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, like about, let's see, I think it's about 37000 So not crazy, but not super cheap. But when you get up to like the Summit Reserve, it's $63,000. So that is not a cheap vehicle. Uh, but it also feels like a $63,000 car. You get like quilted Palermo leather seats and a 19-speaker Macintosh audio that has little things on the screen, like the little, <laughs> the, not little even, meters. the little meters, yes. Yeah, so you <laughs> see the meters going back and forth. Um, so it feels like exactly what they say. It's, you know, okay, this is our top trim. This is really fancy. It's going to have a little bit of luxury. You open the door, you think, okay, yeah, this is, you know, pretty luxurious. Um, we drove the V6 and the V8. The 4xe just sat on this rock and looked pretty we couldn't drive that one yet uh so we didn't get a chance to do that um the other big things about it this year they added a good bit of cargo space six cubic feet that's not small uh so they added more i they said you can now put a thing of golf clubs completely like straight across the back i guess before you had to cant it a little to the side it couldn't quite go the width now you can and they changed how the wheel are inside the car like how the arches go so it kind of is like i think a little lower and a little smaller so again that's part of how they got that extra six cubic feet uh so that's pretty cool it has massive toe ratings it can handle up to 7200 pounds which is pretty impressive for a two row um and this doesn't come with a three row it's the three row is the grand cherokee l
0: right which which i drove a few weeks ago
1: yeah so which is lot the same except longer (laughs) (laughs) bigger Uh, less likely to be able to take it through the off-road stuff without losing a door panel or two uh but it's the same idea it's just if you need three rows instead of going for like okay i want the this specific trim or i want to add this in as an option you actually have to technically go to the grand Cherokee l which they technically treat as a different vehicle even though the trim breakdown is pretty darn close to the same Uh, Let's see. What else? What other cool nifties? Oh, it has... um, We tried the the latest version of Uconnect is on there. Uh, You get like, you know, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, all that kind of good stuff. You can have your navigation show right on your instrument cluster, which is pretty snazzy. Uh, That's... It's a good... I've always liked Uconnect. I find that it's still a really good infotainment system. It's easy to use and you can really customize not just the the screen where you have like three different cards showing or like four or whatever. But even the menu bar at the top, if you were to put things right into that menu bar, just a tiny little thing. Like, like we were saying, if your kids are always turn on the Wi-Fi, you can just put the little Wi-Fi logo up there and boop, you can turn it on without having to dig into a menu. So I liked it. You know, I think it's good on-road. I think it's good off-road. If, if you want an off-road SUV, that is really nice and comfy and pleasant to drive. It has all the fancy amenities you could want for you and your family. Grand Cherokee does it.
0: Yeah, And the, the Grand Cherokee, uh, the two-row you can get that one as a Trailhawk model, yes, right? Yes, you can. Which you can't on the L.
1: That's true. That is the one big difference. You can't get the Trailhawk. In fact, the Trailhawk we drove. The other trims out and about in Moab, but we did take the Trailhawk, and we went up to the top of the little trail they had for us. So, yeah, you can not get a Trailhawk on the, the Grand Cherokee L. That's the only difference. But it does still have the four-wheel drive stuff, but not quite the capability, I guess, is the Trailhawk with its fancy skid plates and bright red tow hooks.
0: Did, did you drive the V6 or the V8 or both? I drove both. Okay.
1: Um, I did some towing. I towed an old uh, vintage, uh, like, Army Jeep. in the v8 which was pretty cool um and one of the cushions almost flew off the back like the cushions in the thing almost and he's like hey hey hey, can you slow down And i said what's happening he's like i think we're gonna lose a cushion and you can see it like flap 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 (laughs) flap um so it was fine towing i mean you tow in that you don't feel like you're towing it's very competent it has more than enough power and then i drove the v6 around too and it again it it it's a big vehicle, but it still feels like you, you have enough power to do it, whether you're just slamming the gas because you really need to accelerate hard to get into traffic or if you're just trying to accelerate up some of the steeper inclines. They gave us this very twisty mountain road with some nifty switchbacks on it. Uh, and accelerating up through that where you have to slow down quite a bit to get around the switchback and then you're going up it was no problem.
0: So from the driver's seat, does it feel any different from the L?
1: You know, I don't really think it does. I was trying to decide, does it feel heavier, longer, different? Not really. If it if it's different, it's not different enough. Like, I th- it's been a little while since I drove the L, but I don't remember thinking that the L felt gigantic and this suddenly felt petite, you know? I think they're close enough in size that you don't really notice the difference. I think where you notice it is if you were going to go off-road in the L because that right. extra length would make a huge difference. Yeah. You know? But it yeah. also comes with way more cargo room. Like if you if cargo's your thing, even without the third row, that's what you want to do because there's a lot more cargo space. In the
0: in the two row or
1: in the three row. Oh, the three row. Yeah, in the three row. Yeah, you want to go with the L if cargo is a big thing, or the third row is a big thing. Yeah, the L is what you want to do.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I, I had the L what three weeks ago I think now, um, and yeah I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean. It feels it feels a lot like what you know Grand Cherokees have felt like for a long time. You know, it's got good driving dynamics and everything, and it was it's big, but it's a much more reasonable size than the Wagoneer that I had the week before that.
1: So, that thing is huge. Yeah. That's that's a small tank. <laughs> yeah.
0: well, it's pretty close to a large tank, actually. <laughs> All right. Anything else on the Grand Cherokee?
1: No, that was so it. When... And so we we have that it's supposed to be arriving in dealerships. Now I think it technically said fourth quarter. The four by E, they were a little cagey. It's like when's it coming out? Early next year. So first quarter, early next year. So February, early next year. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) did did they? I can't I can't remember. Have they said anything specific about the powertrain in that? Is it still the same two liter? They did,
1: and you know what? I didn't. I don't have it in front of me, but they did tell us we do have the powertrain. The only thing we don't have, I don't think, we had official. Uh, fuel economy numbers—they okay. on that yet, but they did give us the powertrain. I feel like I had it plug-in hybrid, two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder.
0: Okay, so it's the same yep. thing so that's in the same. Wrangler. Sorry,
1: I had to dig that out. Yeah. yeah. So that's so we know what the powertrain is, but we have no idea exactly what the range. They've told us what they're aiming for, but we don't really know yet.
0: Okay. Excellent. All right. I had the uh, the new Nissan Frontier, uh, which is. Uh, you know the frontier the old frontier the 2021 frontier is basically the same as what's been around since i think about 2007 or so so it's it was due for a redesign and uh they they did a good job on it uh you know the it's got the same 3.8 liter that actually debuted last year so for the last jet last model year of the old frontier they put the new engine in there uh, and and that's a you know it's a nice engine it's uh, it's about 310 horsepower, I think. Uh, yeah, 310 horsepower, 281 pounds-feet of torque, 3.8 liter V6. Um, it, it, the, this one feels much more modern than the old one did. Uh, you know, like like most of the other uh, midsize pickup trucks, you know, the, the Ranger, the Colorado and Canyon, so on, you know, it's, it's fairly typical. It, the interior is truck-like in that you know it's it's hard plastics you know there's not too many soft touch surfaces it's not a luxury vehicle uh, but it's durable Um, the design you know the interior design is good the the exterior is you know more modern uh, and it's consistent with the look of what they've done with the um, with the new Pathfinder and the Rogue you know kind of the horizontal lights in the front things like that Uh, it's got a nice kind of a chunky design looks looks trucky this particular one that I had was a Crew Cab Pro X model, which I don't quite get what the point of this one is. Because they've had the Pro, the Pro 4X on the Titan for a few years now, which is kind of their more off roady four-wheel-drive version of the Titan. And, now that they've, and they've got a Pro 4X on the, the, on the Frontier, but I don't quite get why they did a Pro X, which is rear-wheel drive.
1: It's Okay, that's what I thought. That's, like, the difference, right? Rear-wheel yeah. drive is just the Pro X. Yeah, no, and four there's four-wheel no. drive is the Pro 4X. Right. So, did they just end up, I think... So, it's like, got the
0: sport bar stuff? on the bed. Okay. You know, it's got the wheels that look... You know, if you look at them, you know, they've got, like, fake um, bolts in there to make it look yep. like beadlock wheels. But they're not. But they're not, yeah. You know, so, it it's kind of... a. Uh, Poser off road. It's like an truck.
1: appearance package. It's almost, an appearance but package. It's a trip.
0: But you definitely don't want to take this one off road because you don't have four wheel drive. Uh, but that that said, you know, it's still it's still a good truck. Uh, you know, it's got a decent towing. Uh, it's got a decent sized bed for for a crew cab. The the rear plenty of room in the rear seat. Um, you know, comparable to to the competition. Uh, the list price. MSRP on this one was thirty-four thousand two hundred and forty dollars, with the off-road style step rails, another seven fifty.
1: Off-road style? Yeah. So they're not really off-road step rails; they're just off-road style. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's an
2: off-road
0: style truck. So you know,
2: (laughs) it's it's not an off-road truck; it's an off-road style Style. truck.
1: It's off-road style, but not actual off-roading. I get it now.
0: Uh, it's, it's got the pro convenience package with the spray and bed liner, the utility track system, which is, which is nice, you know, for, it's got all the tie downs and cleats and everything, uh, a 120 volt outlet in the bed. And also another one in the rear, uh, rear console, um, heated mirrors and seats, heated front seats, um, trailer hitch with wiring harness. So, you know, all that good stuff. Um, what else? Uh, oh, the, the pro premium package. Uh, which gets you Defender Premium Audio with 10 speakers, leather front seats, uh, which are pretty nice. Um, uh, they're fairly comfortable. They don't have much in the way of adjustments. Basically, just fore aft and and recline. Uh, but you know that's fine. They're they're comfortable enough. Um, An auto dimming mirror. Um, that that's like twenty eight hundred dollars for that, and, and that includes the 17 inch
2: beadlock style alloy <laughs> wheels. Whoa, 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 whoa! What for the mirror? Huh? But I guess that the mirror comes with the wheels, right? Yeah. So
0: that's the whole package. That's the pro premium package.
2: Okay. So you get the fender I was just, audio, other
0: right. seats, the dimming mirror, um, the auto tilt slide sunroof, and the beadlock style alloy wheels, uh, all style. for 2800 bucks. And the sport bar right. technology package, or the sport bar is a $1,100. So uh, all, all in this thing came to $44,220, which is not inexpensive, mm-hmm. but, you
2: know, you can. A lot of money for a st- off-road style. Yeah. <laughs> style. Uh, but, like jazz hands of off-road. Yeah. But, but you could get the Frontier,
0: you know, two-wheel drive, King, K, King Cap Frontier starting it. Uh, twenty-eight thousand dollars. So it, it is available. at a Much. So it's more It's almost affordable like you'd want
1: to if you didn't want to have to pay that extra for a truck that isn't any more capable. That just looks more capable. Yes. You exactly. could get the base trim and maybe somewhere along the way put on fancy wheels or put on some side steps or yeah. something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, the, you know, and even the base model still has that new V6 engine in it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's standard across the board. So you know you. You're getting some stuff that's useful and some stuff that's kind of pointless. Not so much. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was really impressed with the, the driving dynamics of this thing. Uh, the, the ride and handling was really good. I drove it over some rough roads. Uh, you know, it's got really good body control. does it a good job of soaking up the bumps. Uh, I was actually, I was surprised. It actually got decent fuel economy. It got 23 miles per gallon, hmm. um, which is better than I was expecting. Um, uh, that's that's. Pretty pretty impressive. I think what was the EPA number on there? EPA combined is 20 miles per gallon. It's 24 highway. I got 23 combined. So that you know that's a that's a pretty decent number for a truck like this. Yeah. Um, you know it's no it's no hybrid Maverick, but you know, it'll do. <laughs> uh, so that is the the 2022 Nissan Frontier Pro-X Crew Cab 4x2 Automatic V6.
1: That's an awful lot of words for a truck that's not an off-road truck.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Automatic V six. Uh,
1: all the things.
0: All the things. All right. Um, since uh, we are here in in Los Angeles this week, um, we're actually gonna over the next couple of days. I'll be doing a bunch of interviews, um, and we'll those will be included in the in the show here after after we're done talking. We'll have conversation with Henrik Fisker, uh, somebody from Nissan, somebody from Jaguar Land Rover, hopefully Toyota, um, and we'll patch all those in here. Um, But before we tie it up for today, um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Acura Integra. Um, Have the two of you seen this yet?
1: I saw pictures, but I have not seen it in person.
2: I have not. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in the Bay Area. I leave in a few hours for L.A., yeah, so I'm almost none there. None of
0: us have actually seen it in person yet. Yeah,
2: it's, I haven't touched it, yeah. rubbed my face on it at all.
1: Is that how you test cars, Robbie? You rub your it face is, on It is, it, yeah. The it's
2: important. It's okay. important that my face gets the feel. <laughs> like, how does
0: well, this feel we'll, against we'll, my we'll cheek? i will to how, how we test cars in a moment, because we do have one listener question that we need to answer. But what do you think about the way the Integra
2: looks? You go. It's... Uh, well, let's just say that it should have been a coupe. <laughs> <laughs> that's my big, that's that's really sort of my big takeaway. I feel like it's just a little bit too long. It's a four-door, it's a sedan, which feels very, not very Integra. Um, I haven't driven it, so I don't know how well it drives. Uh, I just feel like it's just, it's... It just feels like it's too long. Like, the front, like, you know, it's, it's the current uh, Acura design uh, aesthetic. And so, and, and the back I like. It's, I think, I really do think that if they had just made it a coupe, I think a lot of the sort of, like, people who are out there being like, "Ew!"
1: People are beating <laughs> on it, too. They it's very,
2: like, yeah, it's very polarizing. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's not a bad-looking four-door, but it's a four-door.
2: It is hard. Okay, so I think also you have to deal with the fact that this is um, Acura, again, bringing back something that when it was out originally, people absolutely adored it. Mm -hmm. Even Every generation of Integra, people really liked, and then it went away. And this is like the NSX. The NSX, people love the NSX, and then it went away, and they brought it back, and everyone's like, boo! Not what it was! Exactly. And the NSX is a great, the new NSX is a great car. It is a. If you want a supercar that you can just take to the, um, you know, Honda Acura dealer to get it fixed, you should get an NSX. The Integra, I think it's the same thing. It's the thing where same thing where you're, you're bringing something back that has a very emo, people have a very emotional attachment to whether they owned an Integra or they wanted an Integra they they you know they they want you know that that is something especially for for gen x and, and millennials it was one of those vehicles and i think bringing it back again as a as a sedan with four doors sort of kicked everyone a lot of people in the teeth <laughs> because the integra's not a four door car We integra's a, a 90 coupe
1: two? Got an Integra right after, yeah, I think it was around 92 when we bought it. So it was probably something in there-ish for a year, maybe a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband loved that thing. Um, he drove it into the ground because he didn't take care of it, so it didn't take him as long as it should have. <laughs> but he loved that thing. I showed him pictures of this, though, and he liked it, but he he didn't, like, hate on it. He was like, oh, it's not my old Integra. He's like, oh, that's that's nice. That's nice. That's lovely. He wasn't excited, though. Yeah. And he loved his old <laughs>
2: And it's weird because the old, I mean, you had four doors on the old Integra, but it didn't look like a four-door sedan. That's the problem. It,
1: it, well, it, to get it should have been a coupe. Back, I, I think, think it, it should. It was like, it really wasn't. It, it was, was pretending. It was
2: sort of like, a scam. In
1: the back. It was like, enjoy your knees being up under your chin. Like, it was tight.
2: <laughs> I, I feel like they, they they should have just made it a coupe. I know the old one, you could have four doors, but that didn't look, like I said, it was so small. It's like my car. It's like the BRZ, having you know seating for four. No, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> it has. And it's it seating it for it has two. Shelf with a pair
2: of seatbelts. Yeah, in you the put back.
1: A there, that's your call.
2: And they want to sit like with their feet on the other side, and the, yeah, you can put a dog back there um, <laughs> and if the dog's dog like.
1: You
2: yeah, and the dog's not happy. I, I just, it's just, it feels like it's. They should just made it a coop. I'm just gonna keep saying they should have made it a coop, and and and. Just have a coupe, you know, and it
1: doesn't yeah, look, it doesn't look as sporty. Like I'm looking at an image here of somebody, it's too uh, long, and it's got an '86, an and it's got this new one right above it, and the '86 is like this really sporty, sleek-looking thing in '80s language. You know, it's more squared off yeah. than what we have, but it is have a, it's got a sportier look to it. the The new one is like just kind of like a sedan.
2: Cute like if you just, if you put your finger over the word Integra, you're just like, oh, it's another it's another sedan. Which I
1: don't I'm, yes. I'm literally doing that as I'm sitting We're all
2: Dropping our finger loud, on the screen, that. right? Oh, it's just another yeah. Acura sedan. And,
0: and I certainly I, I certainly sympathize with that feeling about it. But the problem is, if they made it a coupe, nobody's gonna buy them.
2: Even Do you, if think you think they're gonna? Yeah, buy but that's what they style? say about the BRZ and the and, and those a lot, things sell. And that's sell a lot what they said about. More and they would have if they did a coupe.
1: Yeah, because I wonder like you you have people who love the Integra name, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you're willing to say, like, oh it's back. I'm gonna buy one, nostalgia. But I look at it and go, Oh, it just looks like a sedan. No, nah, no nostalgia. Are there enough people who are looking at the Integra and saying, Ooh, snazzy new sports sedan? That it that would like it's gonna do really well? Like more of those people than than people who wanted their old Integra back?
0: What about Presumably, they're going to do a Type S of this because they're doing Type S's of all the other. A- yeah,
2: everything's getting a Type S. Yeah. So, you
0: know, the this one that they're showing now has the 1.5 liter turbo in there, which is probably going to have somewhere around 220 225 horsepower, probably a little more power than what's in the Civic Si. Um, yeah. You know, the the Type S is probably going to have the two liter from the Type R from the Civic Type R, so 300 and some horsepower. If it's, if it's got the driving dynamics of a Civic Type R mm. and that engine in it, okay. I think people might get a little more excited about it.
1: That's true. We'll have to prove that to them. Yeah. Like people will have to hear that. Because like, if you look at that, you just think it's, like he said, you cover up the Integra logo in the bottom there, and it's just another sporty sedan. Yeah. You can't You don't get any of that looking at it. Maybe when we all get in it and we drive it and we all say, oh, my God, you guys, this is amazing. But it's a sporty
0: sedan with a, a
2: six speed manual gearbox. That's
1: true, with a manual, which you know, is not many of those. You know it's a challenge to find.
2: You know what it would have made it cooler? What would have made it if cooler? If it was shorter than? and less weight. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think? I know. I, you look at the Supra, the Supra came back, and I know the Supra is also polarizing, but people love that Supra. Yeah. Now there's a, there's a there's a manual transmission coming up, allegedly, next year, 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 year after. Uh, it's it's I don't know. I feel like it's too long. What's? Are they, what I mean, they could have made it sedan, out? and then uh, next spring, like, like this spring. So not that far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah So it's coming. It's coming. I don't know. Well, I haven't seen it in person. Maybe when I see it in person, it won't look as I don't know limoey. <laughs> it's, it's it just feels. Um, I'm I'm always excited. I'm always excited when there's a manual transmission. Um, so you know, if you miss your manual transmission in your Accord. You got the new Integra coming. So there you go. How about that? How about I just say it's an Accord SI with a manual transmission? <laughs> I feel, now I feel fine. Yeah, I feel okay fine with about it. You could accept it o- if you it. You know it what? I'm okay with it if it's the Accord SI sorry, with a manual uh, transmission. Uh, type R, R engine.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we just take the pieces we like and give it a new name, it's all good, guys. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it's just hard when you say Integra and then you look at it you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, and again, it really comes down to that nostalgia thing it where. It does. If, if it wasn't the Integra, if it was probably named something else, we'd all be, oh, this is cool, but it's the Integra, and it all, yeah, you, you end up, when
1: you, bring back you fight,
2: bring you have to there fight against, a, yeah,
1: an identity around a car, and you know it can't look exactly the same, because it's been too long since they got rid of it, it's going to change, but yeah. it's hard to capture the right amount of nostalgia, and the right amount of, m- like, modern car look, and design, and technology, Yeah. So.
0: But one thing you can't argue with—it's good that it at least has a name instead of three random
2: letters. The
1: Acura Five Nine Four X, or something. Uh, I don't know what
2: Toyota is doing. It, it's like it's like it's like buying products from Sony when you buy them from Toyota. Right? <laughs> I really feel like they're doing that because they don't want to make that car. That's they're like, uh, you know, let's just give it a horrible, uh, you know, you know. Hey, what's your password? What's the password? you're uh, they just someone pulled up their password manager. Give them they gave him like a six-character thing. Hey, you know General what? Take out, name. take Generate out the
1: name for this car. Gen-
2: the name generator for the at least Subaru's like a Solterra. Well, you're like, all right, that's it's the sun and the earth. Okay, cool. That, well, to,
0: to what you just said, you know, about Toyota not wanting to to build this thing. It's my understanding from talking to somebody at Subaru that actually Subaru did all the engineering on this, so it's basically this is a Subaru design, and Toyota's just
2: rebadged it. Just took
1: it it and gave it a weird name.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's what they give. They have all that money and they have all that that huge investment in Subaru. They're like, hey, hey, remember when we helped you with the BRZ and that other thing? Give us a card, right? Like, all right, we're gonna call it the Solterra. They're like, we're gonna call it a string of numbers and letters. Nobody
1: will remember with with,
0: with, with mixed case. To, M- just to make
2: just it mixed case more
1: interesting, just to make it oh. to it more type challenging it. for all of us.
2: To be honest, I don't. What is it called? The BR4 <laughs> B R four
0: bz Z four X, knows. and it's that's lowercase BZ4. B, uppercase Z, four uppercase oh. X.
1: G. Yeah, B. Oh, wait, my. is one of those uppercase? I'm just seeing Yeah, that the
0: low. B, is the case. Everything else is uppercase.
1: Oh yeah, B Z four X. Oh
0: my God. That
1: makes it feel like Come it should on. be like an A Z four X,
2: like a C Z four X. So, so what kind of car you have? Oh, I got a B Z four X. Oh, B R Z? No. no. No, 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 no. No. I got the B Z four X. The Toyota. And, and the I have the Toyota S- Solterra. So <laughs>
0: and and. and you know, with the, the 4X in there, the 4X presumably implies, you know, four-wheel drive crossover, except that they're not all four-wheel drive. It's four-wheel drive is optional, and it's standard front-wheel drive.
1: BZ sometimes 4X? Yeah. That was too many words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know I, I was reading through the, the press release for this thing. Um, we got under embargo the, yesterday, and... Um, if you get the front-wheel drive version, you get 150-kilowatt um, front motor. So, it's 200 horsepower. So, it's about the same as what you have in your Kona EV and what's in the Bolt and uh, the uh, VW four. If you get the all-wheel drive two-motor version, they don't keep that and add a, a rear motor. They actually give you two 80-kilowatt motors. So, you get almost the same power, only like 10, 10 kilowatts more. but Sorry. You know, it's now split between the axles, which is kind of a weird choice.
1: <sighs> to match the weird name.
2: Yeah. Just buy the Solterra with all-wheel drive. There you go. <laughs> you get it. It's easier to explain to your friends when they're, hey, what do you got? I got a Solterra. Oh, you I got the EV? Solterra. Yeah, I got the EV. All-wheel that. drive. It's got the symmetrical all-wheel drive that, that makes Subaru a Subaru. They're going to throw some dogs in it and just be happy
1: it, or is it i mean if you haven't shown it, is it even a subaru it's not even a subaru yeah
2: yeah is it even a subaru unless there's a dog in it it's
1: absolutely <laughs> not, not really
2: no. no that's the law that's subaru law
0: <laughs> all right uh, before we get into the interviews um i got one question <laughs> that came in on twitter from andrew pappas how do you consistently test and review a car Is there a first thing you do? Are there certain roads you always use? Do you have a checklist?
1: I always drive certain roads at home. There's at least a certain route that I take during the course of the week, I have a car. So I get some highway driving, I get some little driving downtown, and then have this really twisting sort of country road outside of my house that I try that, which is also great for testing stuff like lane keep assist because it's hard for things to see. So I test that kind of stuff there. Um, And then there's things that I just kind of generally look for I suppose you know does it does it fit what they said it's supposed to fit if it's a sports car does it feel and look like one if it's a family car does it feel and look like one uh you know the comfort of it the power of it but I do try I do drive it on the same couple of roads at some point just because I feel like that gives me sort of a baseline and because I know how other things handle on those specific roads but yeah
2: What about you Robbie I have, uh, yeah, I have, I have the same the specific roads that I use, all, I drive all the cars on, um, and I, well, you know, it's weird because what I do is I try not to look at the Monroney before I drive the car. I try not to figure out how, I try not to look at the price. I try not to look at like how much power it has. I try not to look at any of that that information for the first couple days because I want to sort of in my brain figure out where I think this car should be. I don't want the price to sort of like throw me off and say, "Oh well, it should be." You're right. It is worth you know eighty thousand dollars or seventy or whatever. So I drive it and I try to and in my brain I figure out like, okay based on what this car is, who makes it, how well it drives, you know, the options, et cetera, and where it is within the segment, then I f- okay, it should be about this much. And most of the time, it's pretty, you know, I'm within a few thousand dollars within, you know, that, that thing. If it's, like, wildly off, then I know there's something going on. <laughs> <laughs> I know that either... Like
1: it should be 20 grand, either, sticker, 50,000. What am I missing? Yeah, yeah, either
2: either the, the car feels like it's... Uh, not worth the money which is bad that's that's the bad that's the bad something crazy is going on it's not worth the money where you're like oh (sighs) based on everything else in that segment and that at that price this car is just not you know it's it's not uh it's not it's not keeping up with us if it's the other way if the car feels like it's worth more than what it actually is you get that a lot with the kias and the hyundais (laughs) then you're like oh oh this is a good value and that's yeah but yeah, I have the same routes. I have, I do the same things. I have the same, I have mountain roads, city roads, and then I have uh, the two, essentially two same, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, highways that I drive on. And so one is like four lane, and one is like two lane, um, in each direction. So. So one's eight and one's four, I guess. And then for EVs, for an EV test, I have a a route. It's like 75 point something miles. Because people want to know, oh, how well did it do in range? And most of the time you can just look at the, you can just figure it out with the miles per kilowatt hour. Uh, But you know people still want to range and and certain and and most of the time. I don't even like it. it's not even if it's really off From what the um, automaker says then I'll mention it, but if it's within a few miles It's sort of like not really yeah yeah, what their EPA is if it's really good compared to their EPA And then I throw some yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I essentially do the same thing for the most part for all vehicles and um, Regardless of whether or not it's a supercar or it's a you know entry level you know $20,000 whatever
0: yeah i've also got a, a, a loop that i do for testing fuel economy and uh, like for plug in hybrids i use it for um, electric range you know and it's a mix of urban suburban a little bit of highway driving um, ranges between like 25 and 55 65 miles an hour um, so i go through that route with most of the vehicles and uh check out what they get um and like i said for the for the plug-in hybrids i'll full i'll give them a full charge and do that until they run up until the engine starts starts coming up coming on to get an idea of what kind of real range they get on electricity um what about uh like setting up the car when you first get it do you bother to take a look at the manual or you just dive in and try to figure out how to pair your phone and I just, set things I up. I just
1: dive in because I don't think anybody ever really looks at the manual. No one does. Like, like you get a rental car. Does anybody like, Hey, yeah. you got some paperwork Hold to on. show me how to do this. You just sit down and start figuring out. And I feel like that's what most people do. So I feel like I should be able, especially one of us yeah. should be able As our, to do that. Yeah. You know? And if you, yeah, can't, I, I, then like Robbie said, something is very wrong. If I am really stuck trying to kind of get things going, something has gone sideways.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I typically will sit down and, and try to figure it out. Um, I think the only time I have to like consult the manual, and that, this has sort of gone away within the last like few years um especially with 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 uh, quick with sports cars or supercars was launch control oh, yeah. oh, because every launch control was like the contra code for your super nes like it was just like up down left right hold this put the brake hold this nope but don't you gotta do it within 30 seconds and you got something's gonna pop up and oh you messed up you gotta do I a mean, lower like. <sighs> yeah i don't
1: think i've ever done launch control right on the first try in any car ever in my whole life i tried it the first time i'm like wait no. no 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 i did not do the right order of operations let me give that another try <laughs> yeah
0: the, the first the first time i ever tried launch control on a production car was like 2008 on an audi r8 and that was the first generation r8 and it was like about a six-step process <laughs> and every time i tried it, it as soon as i actually try to launch it would throw up an error saying you know clutch overheated or oh, something geez. it's like uh,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah what was the, um sup- the, the super fast the ferrari super fast oh. i was trying to figure out launch control and i couldn't figure it out and it didn't have the owner's manual in there so i had to call them and i'm like can you send me a pdf of it and they're like yeah we can't really do that because um people will we don't have electronic versions of ferrari things because the aftermarket the people like they'll they'll get it and they'll print it and then they'll sell it because ferrari like the the whole ferrari yeah the ferrari brand has such has this like very weird uh group of of individuals who if there's anything that they can like essentially steal and like recreate and sell they will yeah and so i i like i was like all right well yeah maybe it's fast it's the super fast and you're always like okay where am I gonna do because it's you don't want to do launch control on like any like streets with humans uh-huh. ever right. and so you're always trying to find somewhere and sometimes you get to go to a you know uh, like some some, some uh, private land or a private road or 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 if you're lucky a track will let you like do something but by the time I like oh forget it you know what it's fast it's, a, it, it's no yeah forget it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not just fast it's super, super fast. fast but you know it's, it's always really good. Yeah, and that's, I think, the yeah, it's in the name. And that's one of the problems with with, with, uh, with reviewing these really quick cars that are essentially probably not going to be used on tracks at any point. But you don't get to, you, you know, you just you get to drive, like, 20, 30, maybe if I'm lucky, 70% if there's no one on the road, on, like, the, the roads through Marin that I use, and I can, like, open it up a little bit. But that's That hardly ever, ever happens. And so you're always just like, okay, well, I'm doing 60 around this corner. I could be doing 90. But I can't do 90 because it's unsafe. And there's people. And there's, you know, there's, there's, there's bicyclists. And there's this and that. And there's every, everything. And every, like, every inside blind corner, I just slow down. If, it's an, if, if I'm outside and I can see, I'm like, okay, I can speed up. Oh, now I'm slowing down. So it's like this really weird, like, ballet that you're doing because you want to uh, – a, figure out how well the car drives. Would be do not, you know, you're not putting any other humans in any other danger because you're, you know, driving right. quicker than you probably should be on the road.
0: Yeah, that's that's always a challenge testing stuff like that, yeah, yeah, doing it on public roads. Um, you don't want to be irresponsible, you know, either with endangering others or endangering our own driver's licenses.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I will say that one thing that I've noticed when I'm driving, if I'm dri- it doesn't matter what I'm driving, and I'm on these back roads, these very windy roads that are here in the Bay Area, is that there are certain, and it's always uh, dudes, um, it doesn't matter what they're driving, I will come up behind them, and I'll be coming up behind them very quick. And I'm not speeding, I'm not doing like 80 miles an hour, I just, I drive a lot of cars, I know how to drive around corners very quickly. Within, you know, and they will not move over. And if someone comes up behind me, I've had, I've been in a Type R and someone's come up behind me in a Subaru, like a Legacy, and I moved out of their way. And I was like, you know what? You know this road. I've never driven this road. It's kind of wet and rainy. You know this road. I'm going to pull over and let your all-wheel drive magic Dude. go past me. And get back on the road. I was in the Type R, so. But you'll be driving, and then you'll get stuck behind somebody, and you're just like, all right, I'm just going to back off because I don't want to push anyone. But then they try to keep up with you in front of you, and they start driving into the other lane. You're just like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to
1: cause an accident so, by trying to be responsible.
2: <laughs> so don't don't do that. Don't try to keep up with other people, and pu- and 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 doing so, you're driving over the line to make corners. Because if you're driving over the line to do a corner, you're not driving correctly. You're not a good driver. You're a bad driver. And typically I'll just pull over. I'll just pull over and let them go because I'm like, no, 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 no. Because this is a whole other issue because they're going to, well, there's a head on collision and then they're like, Hey, this guy was making me go fast. I'm like, no, I wasn't. I backed off. I wanted you to pull over. I gave you two turnouts. You didn't. And then I backed off. <sighs> anyway, don't drive beyond your uh, limits. Don't, don't let machismo uh, put you in danger And, um, I don't know, be nice to people. Yeah. All right.
0: And uh, I think that's all we've got for now. Uh, Keep listening for the interviews, and we'll be back next time.
1: Bye. Bye, guys.
0: Bye.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies,
4: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. Sam again. Uh, right now, we've got, I've got an interview with Mike Tripp, the vice president of marketing and communications for Toyota North America. And right after that, uh, I'll be talking with Cooper Erickson, uh, group vice president for product planning and strategy. Both of these conversations took place after we got, uh, the reveal of the Toyota BZ four X, their first EV that's coming to market next spring. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, stick around after that, and we'll have uh, Henrik Fisker, the founder and CEO of Fisker Incorporated, talking about the Fisker Ocean, another EV that's coming to market next year. So um, here in Encinitas, Mike Tripp, uh, and you are VP of Marketing, Toyota, North America? VP of
3: Vehicle Marketing and Communications, Toyota USA.
0: All right. So um, the reason we're here is the Evolution 2.0 event. Um, it's all about electrification and Toyota's uh, electrification strategy and all the different approaches that you're taking as a brand. Um Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion uh, around recently, especially around your uh, the the, your, the company's um, approach or attitude towards battery electric vehicles. Um, explain for the audience you know, what what is Toyota's approach to electrification? Sure.
3: So from an electrification standpoint, we're excited to reveal here, as you know, the BZ4X, which is our battery electric vehicle and is the latest addition to our growing lineup of electrified vehicles. And when we talk about electrified, to us, there's two components that you have to have. One, a high-voltage battery, and second is an electric motor. And we've been, as you know putting electric motors and batteries in vehicles for over 20 years. So our strategy is a portfolio strategy where we offer today with the BZ4X what will be four different electrified powertrains, hybrid, plug-in hybrid, fuel cell, and now electric or BEV. And we believe that that's the best solution today to give a diverse customer base different choices based on what they need and where they drive vehicles. So today we offer four.
0: So with four different options you, know, you talked this morning in the presentation about um, people's understanding of those options. A lot of consumers don't, most, the reality is most consumers don't really understand the technology they're using, you know, whether it's in their vehicles or their phones or anything else. So what what have you found, uh, Toyota, as far as your understanding, of, of the way consumers understand electrification?
3: Yeah, I think... Consumers' understanding of electrification varies, as you said, and the reality is, and we talked about this this morning, that you can't have, first you have to have awareness, but the gap between awareness and knowledge is still rather large, right? There's a growing awareness about electrification, whether it's BEVs or hybrids or even fuel cell. But all of our role, your side and our side, is to bridge that gap between awareness and knowledge and some of the ways that we've done that not only through our dealer network but also through a lot of our online activities and today if you go to toyota.com for example not only are you going to get marketing information as you would expect but you'll also get videos and information that explains those different technologies and how they work and what the trade-offs are for each of the technologies so um, that's our approach from an education
0: standpoint When most people, most Americans in particular, think of electrification they're aware of hybrids and Toyota. Those those two go together. You know, they know the, everybody knows the Prius, and, and you know you've got hybrids in a lot of your other models now. But when they think of electrification, they think of Tesla. Why? What? Why is battery electric, in, at least in to, from Toyota's view, not necessarily right now the the best or the, the only? Or why should it not be the only option?
3: Yeah, Sam, uh, electric and BEV is a great option for certain customers, but there's trade-offs with that technology. And if you think about it, the trade-offs are where and how you're going to charge the vehicle, um, also the range that you can get out of one charge, and then how long it takes you to charge. What we've seen is that today, if you have an electric vehicle, 90% of consumers also have a secondary vehicle in their household. and 80% of the charging of BEVs is done at home. So if you have those capabilities, then electric vehicle is probably a good solution for you. However, what about consumers that live in an environment where they don't have the availability to charge at home, but they still want to get an environmentally friendly vehicle that performs well and contributes to carbon neutrality? That's where, for example, with us, we believe hybrid is a great solution. Hybrids, if you drive them in a city, 50% of the time they're on electric. But you don't have to worry about when and where and how you charge it. You can also take them on a road trip. So if you look at the diversity of consumer base that we have in the United States and the different driving patterns... We believe the best solution to reach the most customers is to have a diversified portfolio of electrified options, which means having a great BEV like we're going to have with the BZ4X, but also having a range of hybrid vehicles. And here in California, we also have our fuel
0: cell. And one of the interesting things I think most people don't realize because they don't think about the math around this is you know when you because you know for nearly 50 years now we've we've looked at fuel economy. Uh, from a miles per gallon perspective, you know, and, and we want to add, you know, keep adding more and more miles per gallon. But as you, for every, every additional mile per gallon you add, the amount of fuel that you save shrinks because it, it's, a, it's a non linear unit that we're using there. So once you get past about 35, 40 miles per gallon, it, the incremental benefits start to get really, really small. Um, and, you know, the, the benefits of going from hybrid to battery electric, you know, become incremental you know, consequently smaller. You talked earlier about, um, you know, kind of the, the environmental benefits that, you know, that Toyota has brought, you know, with the 18 million hybrids you've sold. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think the key is everybody is, mo- listen, the enemy is greenhouse gas. Everybody has agreed that that is the enemy. Therefore, carbon neutrality, right, reducing our carbon footprint is everybody's, right, everybody said that's the goal. And to me, if that's the end goal, then there's varying strategies to get there. And we, over the last 20 years, bringing hybrids to the market, have sold, you know, if you look at the electrified vehicles we put in the marketplace, we have, you know, over almost 18 million vehicles globally and over 4 million vehicles in the U.S. that have been hybrid, which means we've reduced greenhouse gases with those vehicles already. We've been reducing greenhouse gases for the last 20 years. The reality is, as we talked about earlier, for EV, that's a a great zero, you know, a ZEV solution, but not all customers can Participate in that solution to reduce greenhouse gases. Not everyone can today. Therefore, by buying a hybrid, for example, or again we talked about fuel cell here in, in California, it allows us to reach a greater number of consumers that can help us achieve the ultimate goal, which is reducing um, emissions and, and obviously net neutrality when it comes to our carbon footprint. We've made a stated goal: is that by 2030 globally, 80 percent, 80 percent of our vehicles that we sell by 2030 globally, will be an electrified solution. And if you look at, typically we sell roughly 10 million vehicles a year, that means there will be 8 million people contributing to reducing our carbon footprint um, because of our range of electrified vehicles. And, oh, by the way, we said 20% will be EV or zero emissions vehicles. So that's 2 million people by the year 2030. So we also are a company that doesn't historically... Talk about what we're going to do. We believe the proof is in what we're doing today and what we've done. And we're very proud of the fact that for 20 years through our hybrids and through our fuel cell vehicles, we've done a lot to reduce our carbon footprint and we're going to only do more over the next 20 years.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the stats you mentioned earlier was uh, the, the investment you've made in, in electrification so far, um, you know, that would have brought to market about, I think roughly 260,000 BEVs. And, you know, the equivalent savings you've had from the $18 million hybrids it came out to, what, about $5.5 equivalent of five, having $5.5 million? Dollars yeah,
3: you know, man, we do some fuzzy math sometimes <laughs> on our side. But, yeah, the reality is the componentry and the investment. I mean, the, what, again, okay, so if we look at BEVs today, what is the biggest blocking factor to bringing more BEVs to the market? Obviously, it's the infrastructure, the availability of the components necessary for BEVs. And as I said, not every consumer today has the at-home infrastructure to drive a BEV. It just doesn't have Not in the U.S., not today. But if you look at the investments we've made in the hybrid vehicles that we've brought to market over the last 20 years, and you were to then translate and say, okay, instead of 18 million hybrid vehicles, if we put the investment into EVs, to your point, it would have been about 250,000 EVs that we could build, and roughly the difference in uh, you know, carbon emissions is much less significant than the investment that we've showed and we've made in hybrid. So, again, we b- we're very proud of our hybrid. We're going to continue to invest in that technology because we believe it meets a certain customer's needs. We're going to continue to invest in BEVs because we believe that meets another customer's needs, and we also are going to continue to invest Um, you know, in hydrogen and in fuel cell, because we believe that meets yet another customer's needs. And by bringing a portfolio of electrified powertrains to the market, we're going to reach more customers. We're going to bring them into the Toyota family. And every one of those customers is going to be able to participate towards our goal by 2050 to be net zero when it comes to our emissions.
0: And... Toyota is, you know, one of a small handful of companies that has also been very heavily involved in development of hydrogen fuel cell technology which you've mentioned. Um, where, you know, right now you've got one fuel cell vehicle in the market the Morai. Uh, you're on the second generation of that car now and the, and the new one is vastly, vastly improved yeah, over yeah, the fantastic. over the first generation. Um, but where, you know, Back, you know, when I first started writing, you know, in 2006, 2007, there was a lot of enthusiasm for fuel cells. You know, at that point, you know, we we didn't really have any modern BEVs on the market yet. And, you know, there was a a lot of enthusiasm that, yeah, you know, fuel cells are going to start to take off. We're going to start to make this huge investment in the infrastructure. Never really happened. Where do fuel cells fit into this, you know, 15 years later? Uh, and you know, part of the, the ecosystem of
2: electrified vehicles.
3: Yeah, as I said earlier, we believe it's still one of multiple solutions to reach a certain customer. And if you look at the biggest blocking factor today on fuel cells, it's the availability and the infrastructure around hydrogen. And so we're continuing to work with our partners to expand that, not only here in California, but we're looking at other markets around the United States. I think we remain optimistic on hydrogen because if you look at globally in countries like Germany and some of the other countries in Asia, there continues to be interest in investment in hydrogen. And like any technology, as more and more companies get involved, then that brings down the barriers to entry. And so the fact that we've been there first and we're on our second generation Mirai, we're excited about. We're also taking that technology and where it makes sense is really in heavy duty trucking and industries with not only fixed range, but also, um, where we see that the, the ZEV impact of hydrogen and the fact that you, unlike EV today, you can fill up relatively quickly uh, and get a lot of use out of that technology. We see in, uh, in commercial trucking and uh, some platforms like that, which is why we've invested there as well. So we believe over time our efforts, not only with what we've done with Mirai, but also as additional competitors, get into the hydrogen um into the fuel cell game and as some of the infrastructure barriers come down combined with what we're learning through our commercial vehicles and heavy-duty vehicles, we see that continuing to grow. Uh, You're right. Ten years ago, it looked like perhaps BEV and hydrogen was going to grow at the same pace, but the reality is the infrastructure uh, has not been there to support that, but we're optimistic on that as a solution, again, as one of four powertrains that we consider electrified in our lineup.
2: Um,
0: Anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to bring up about Toyota and electrification you know that, that listeners should be thinking about
3: yeah I, I the, the most important thing we talked about this earlier right I think there is a the exciting thing for the auto industry is that there's a growing awareness and interest in electrification and we believe that as consumers become more educated and more knowledgeable about the different executions of electrification, Uh, the more they're going to see that there's a, a wide range of vehicles out there, some of which may meet their particular need today and some of which candidly don't because of their driving patterns or where they live or the lifestyle that they have. And, you know, our encouragement is more people get exposed to the different versions of electrification and powertrains that are out there, and the more we can generate awareness of what we're doing as a brand and knowledge that bridges the gap between awareness and knowledge and desire, the more excited we are. Listen, we... We've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I said earlier, it's not our first rodeo when it comes to electrification. We've put batteries and high voltage or or motors and high voltage batteries in cars for a long time. So we're excited. We have 11 hybrids. Um, We're only gonna expand our electrified options. And all we ask is that consumers do their research so they can determine what brand and what models work best for them. And I think it's safe to say that if you don't do your research, what you think you know about electrified options or electrification may not be true. So do your research. And then uh, come give us a try at Toyota, because the best experience you can have with our brain is to get behind the wheel and drive with our vehicles. All
0: right. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah,
3: Sam, thanks for your time. All right.
0: Cooper Erickson, the Group Vice President of uh, Product Planning for Toyota in North America. Uh, thanks for joining me here uh, to talk about the, the BZ4X. and. And, and about Toyota's strategy overall with, uh, battery electric vehicles. I spoke with Mike Tripp earlier about you know, kind of the broader electrification strategy, uh, for Toyota, uh, which, you know, is a little bit different from what a lot, a lot of other companies are doing. You know, you're working, building on your, on the, your strengths as a company, you know, 20 plus years of history with hybrids, um, and, and, and f- more recently fuel cells, um, but now, you know, getting into your first Dedicated BEV. You have know, done three before: two generations of Rav4 and the and the Scion IQ. This is the first one that's purpose built as a BEV. So, what you know, from a product planning perspective, what was what was the goal? What was the strategy around this particular
4: vehicle? Well, thanks for that. Um, first, it's it's not a vehicle specifically designed for the U.S. market. It is a global product. It's part of the BZ global. Uh, product portfolio that uh, that has been announced to have roughly 15 vehicles, you know, between now and, and 2025. Um, so the reason we grabbed onto this for the North American market, and this was, of course, several years ago during the product development. It wasn't something that we just dreamed up. We've been working on this probably takes five years, you know, for vehicle development. So it's been a, been a while. Um, it really fit the market well. It's a legitimate SUV, great interior uh, space, um, no compromises. You know, uh, small SUV segment, one of the largest segments in the automotive industry, and it's got you know the right-sized range for for the average consumer, and so we felt it was a great next step in our um, in our EV portfolio proliferation. Um, sure, there'll be more to come. We'll respond to to. Uh, Customer demand and and uh, address the market as it as it grows, but it was a great segment to be in, and it was the right product for us to grab for the North American market.
0: What um, you know, the the choice of a, a vehicle that's going to have around 250 miles of range, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, I, I personally don't think is a problem. I think that's actually kind of the sweet spot for for most people. But what was the 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 thinking? You know, when there there are others that are shooting for higher or you know know, like Tesla is obviously at least claiming higher ranges on their their label values what was the thinking for Toyota in that 250 mile
4: yeah I think it's you know a couple of things one is one of the biggest challenges the automotive industry faces is the supply of batteries so we have to be really careful how we handle that precious material um The the supply chain is not mature. There's a lot of activity going on globally and in the U.S. to get the the BEV, the battery supply chain, up to where it needs to be. Um, But it's not up there yet. And so we need to be careful that we're not putting too much battery in a vehicle that a customer doesn't need and isn't utilizing just to have an advertising claim. Uh So the second thing is... The customer use case. You know, the average customer commutes, you know, 30 miles a day. You know, I think I think it's 98% of all commutes, or something like that. So, the idea of carrying around too much battery is actually inefficient, and it's not good for the environment because you're using energy. You know, energy isn't free. You're plugging it in. Energy's coming from somewhere. Uh-huh. Batteries are really heavy, and so we're trying to hit that sweet spot of, you know, spreading the battery supply that we have over a, a more products and meeting the customer needs. And then I guess if I was gonna add a third thing onto it, it would be our focus isn't the initial range. Our focus is, is maintaining that range for as long as possible through the life of the vehicle. And we're, you know, we're targeting 90% of initial range after 10 years. So you know that is a differentiator for us. Um, and not to say that we're not gonna have a product that has higher range down the road. Uh, you know, when we look at, at the other, other brand that we have and from a luxury standpoint, that's that's a bigger expectation uh-huh. with, with luxury products. Um, but in, in the Toyota world, we think you use the term sweet spot. We, we think it's pretty much in the sweet spot and it's affordability too. Um, batteries are really expensive. <laughs> so right. so that we try to keep the vehicle to be affordable for our consumers in that small SUV segment.
0: Uh, so- Yeah, you, Toyota as a brand, you know, as a company has a lot of history working with high voltage batteries and, you know, making sure that they last in, you know, those 18 million hybrids, you know, something you you don't hear about anymore, you know, that we used to hear about, you know, in the early days was, well, how long is this battery going to (laughs) last and how much is it going to cost me to replace it? Am I going to have to replace this battery, you know, for thousands of dollars after three years? That's not something you really hear about with hybrids anymore. So what, was there anything specific, you know, as you move to a BEV that you've done um, to, because you're, you're, I think you're probably using a lot more of the battery capacity in this vehicle than you typically do in a hybrid configuration, what what sorts of things have, have you done to get that 90%
4: uh, retention rate after 10 years? Well, I'm not a battery engineer, and it gets pretty, uh, pretty granular. I probably couldn't explain it, okay. but the... The general thinking is we're focusing on that long-term durability, and uh, there's different batteries for different use cases. And the hybrids that you mentioned, they can use a battery that's a different um, energy density that releases the energy differently. You know, how we cycle that battery. Um, the bottom line is it's designed for the life of the car. That, that's, that's the way we approached hybrids. And early on, like you said, people... We're thinking, it's going to be expensive, I'm going to have to replace it all the time. I think a couple things have happened. One is people have learned through history, you know, that they last a long time. Um, But also, we recognize that was still an objection here four or five years ago, um, and we changed our battery warranty on our hybrids to 10 years, 150,000 miles, to alleviate that concern from the customer's mind. Now, it didn't really cost us anything because because they're lasting they they bat, So yeah. <laughs> it was maybe a good bet. Um, but, you know, I, I guess the lithium ion batteries we're currently using were, you know, Panasonic and CATL. Um, uh, we're working with them on, on durability first. And I'm not sure how they're managing that from a chemical, you know, battery makeup standpoint.
0: So you, you mentioned Panasonic and CATL. Panasonic's been a long time partner on the hybrid side. Is this the first application you've worked with CATL uh, for
4: today? In the U.S., yes, but I believe in Europe and China we've we've worked with them on other devs. But I I would have to get uh, clarification on that. Okay, Uh,
0: is it going to be a a mix of both suppliers, and or is it going to be split like kind of regionally, so like North American? product gets one supplier Europe maybe a different the other one or
4: so in the US market we will have both okay and the way that it's broken down is the all-wheel drive uh, x-mode all-wheel drive variant will have one battery and the the front wheel drive will have a different battery okay and I
0: I, yeah because I think in the specs it listed two slightly different capacities slightly more for the all-wheel
4: drive and I I think the way that the batteries behave and the way that they manage the energy. Uh, one was more suited for having dual motors and higher output and all-wheel drive. The other one was better suited for a single motor. So I think it's just matching the battery to the drive type. Um, that's the way it is. Um, so you, you, won't, you won't have a choice of battery. You know, it's either all-wheel drive or front-wheel drive, and yeah. it comes with what it comes with. But yeah, uh, it is the ones of one kilowatt or one and a half, something like that, bigger than. Yeah, one yeah,
0: one. yeah it's just a small difference, but yeah. okay. Um, one of the interesting things looking at the specs um, is on the front wheel drive version you've got a 150 kilowatt battery Mm -hmm. which is pretty typical of a lot of the electric crossovers uh, that are out there today Um, and on the all wheel drive version instead of keeping the same front motor you've got two 80 kilowatt batteries Mm -hmm. or motors one at each end Um, is is that actually a, a, a is it just a detuned? Are you using a detuned version of the same motor, or is it actually a smaller motor that you're
4: mm-hmm. using? And what's what was the thinking there between so that configuration? <clears throat> That's actually a great question. I, I think it's a different motor. I don't think it's a detuned okay. motor. I think it's a different motor. And from my understanding, the reason for that was the the, the two motors. We don't have that for acceleration performance and the fun-to-drive aspect as much as we do enabling, you know, the multi-mode, X-mode, all-wheel drive system, you know, mud, snow, selectable, you know, off-road capability. So I think the uh, the use case was we don't need a 150 and an 80. It'll, it'll do what we need it to do with 280s mm-hmm. and keeping that price point for consumers in the space that they can afford and the vehicle still going to perform in a way that they're going to be satisfied with.
0: The um, the X mode you mentioned. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, what what exactly is X mode? What are, what does that get
4: you? Yeah, it's just uh, you know multi train okay. uh, mode. So um, it just tunes the power delivery uh, to all four wheels uh, uh, depending on the traction conditions that you're in. Um, you know, you can adjust it for different Uh, different settings, Uh, but then on the the on-road performance, um, even on dry pavement, um, it really does a great job gripping and accelerating through corners. Um, It gives you a real confidence. A little more balance front to rear. Yeah, you know, I mean, a a rear-drive car has a certain bias that, you know, feels, you know, the rear-end squats, Mm -hmm. it feels, has a certain feeling, Um, and front-drive cars have a different feeling, so, yeah, it, it gives it a more premium Um, planted driving experience regardless of condition, Uh, but then you have the multiple terrain select, you know, X mode uh, capability as well.
0: Okay, um, the uh, one of you know, this vehicle was developed in partnership with Subaru, uh, they have their own variant of it, the Solterra. What are there any
4: notable differences between the two vehicles? Yeah, I know there's styling differences, um, but I, I I would have to look into that to tell you the specifics. I think for the most part uh, they're very similar, being built at the same factory. Um, there's some styling differences, and I'm sure there's some interior, you know, electronic uh, system differences. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure if we have a, a list of that. I'm not. I haven't really seen that. Okay. Um,
0: what about the the charging speed? This morning during the presentation, mm-hmm. that was one of the things that was brought up, and mm-hmm. it's one of the things that you know, we've at Guidehouse, we've found you know from our consumer surveys. The the three main barriers to adoption for uh, EVs for Mm -hmm. consumers are the the upfront costs, the availability of charging, and Mm -hmm. the time it takes to charge Mm -hmm. compared to a gas vehicle. Mm -hmm. What kind of charging speed are you going to have on uh, on this vehicle?
4: Well, it will accept up to 150 kilowatt uh, charge. Now. I actually need to look into this. I think one of the batteries may accept only up to 100 kilowatt. Hour. Okay. Uh, but in, in either case, 150 or 100, it's roughly a 71 kilowatt-hour battery. So it's going to take, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes uh, for a full charge on a DC fast charge system. Um, of course, if you're on a level one charger, it's going to take sure. the same length of time it would take I any. Mean, Physics. Yeah, it's kilowatt. Kilowatt. Time. Yeah, it's probably
0: is it, uh, presumably uh, like ten kilowatt uh, eight, level two AC, like two four uh, two um, four charger or yeah,
4: le- level two I think is around that ten ish kilowatt. That's kind of the, level what level one doing is now three to six or something yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, I mean charge times are the same as any other EV. It's, yeah. That the only difference in charge times for an EV is really going to be the maximum it will accept. Right, the DC and, fast charge. And, and, and some of them are working on you know, 250, uh-huh. and I don't think there's a lot of those in market right now. Frankly, most of them are probably under 150. So 150 is really competitive, and, and that's going to be good if you have availability of the DC fast chargers, which are super easy to find, but they are around. They're, they're getting
0: better, yep. um, and that that's the, that leads me to the next question, which is um, you know the availability of charging. Um, you know, one of the things that some of the other manufacturers, for GM and others, are starting to do is trying to reduce the friction in charging um, for you know in using public charging for their customers, um, you know, because we've got this patchwork of a bunch of different charge network providers, EVgo and ChargePoint and Electrify America and so on. Um, uh, What, if anything, is Toyota doing to make it easier for consumers, you know, buyers of the BZ4X to charge, you know, from any available charger without having to juggle four or five different
4: accounts, you know, subscriptions with these different companies? Well, based on your explanation of other brands looking into that, I think it's pretty safe to say it's a concern that we all see. Um, and we we're taking it seriously. Don't have any announcements for you today um, when they do the, the, the ride and drive vehicle you know, precedent next year. We'll get into a lot of detail on this stuff. But the bottom line is we have, you know, there's, there's two areas of charging that we want to make seamless and easy for the consumer. One is at home. And the reality is most of these vehicles are being purchased by people who will charge them at home. So, setting something up to make it very seamless and painful to figure out what they need at home to optimize the charging. Uh, painless. Yeah, you said painful. Oh no, <laughs> I assume you wanted to be painless. Painless, yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> as painless as possible. As painful as possible. Yeah. No, don't don't say that. Um, so, yeah, we want to we want to just make it easy for them at you know at home and then. When they're out and about, we want to look at that the same way. How can we reduce the need to have five different subscriptions to these different you know, services and and the location of them, what the wait time, you know, on all of those things? We, we're looking into that. Um, we've been making some good progress, but nothing real specific to to announce right now. Okay, we, we recognize the problem and we, we want to solve for it.
0: All right. Um. Anything else uh, about the BZ4X or just your your BEV plans in general that uh, listeners
4: should be thinking about? I mean, we we're proud of our contribution to the environment. I don't think any brand has done more to help the environment than Toyota. And I know uh, uh, some people don't see it that way these days. But the bottom line is we have a strategy, and we're not we're not a brand that that really talks a lot about and obsesses with what we're gonna do 10 years from now. Um, Never mistake that for us not having a plan and not having things in the works. Uh, We just uh, like to talk about things that are a little bit closer. Uh, The further out you go, the more we need to reserve the right to course correct and change and be agile. And I think that's the name of the game these days. Um, we're, We're keeping a close eye on the customer And as customer demands change, we're going to be there for our customers, and we're going to be a leader in 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 the reduction of greenhouse gas for the next twenty years, the same way we have been for the last twenty years. All right, thank you so much, Cooper. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sam.
0: All right, Henrik. Big day, you know, public unveiling of the production version of the uh, the ocean. It's interesting. I was I was talking to somebody earlier after uh, the press conference, um, and. uh, they described you as the uh, the phoenix rising from the ashes, uh, which I think is very apt, uh, you know, given uh, your your history. Um, you know, it's I, I've been following you, you know, going back to the days of Escar Automotive. We I, think I first interviewed you in 2009 or eight at uh, the Detroit show when you got 2008 2008 yeah mm-hmm. when you unveiled the Karma, and um, you know it's it's been fascinating to watch the very different approach that you've taken this time around compared to the previous effort. Um, and can, can you talk about the overall strategy for the company now and how you're approaching the market of bringing, bringing an EV to the
5: market? I mean, just a step back, when when I started, you know, working on in EVs back in sort of 2005 or six or whenever it was, obviously... Nobody was interested in EVs, and uh, nobody wanted to back it, so it was extremely difficult. Uh, there was no real supply chain. Um, we had to go at the time with a startup battery company, which ultimately failed, and therefore we couldn't continue. I think when you fast forward to today, we are starting to see more of a supply chain that available. We have probably four or five, maybe five large international global battery companies that now have tested, durability tested batteries for many years and they're all sort of on a similar level we were able to of course strike a deal with CHL which is the world's largest battery uh, manufacturer and the strategy for me was that we need to make sure that the technology we put in the vehicle is tested, durability tested and also is the absolute, absolute latest technology so that's why we decided to develop uh, a, a process which we call FFPAT, which stands for, uh, you know, very, uh, very fast development time of, of a vehicle. So it basically means we're able to develop a vehicle in less than two and a half years, where normally in the industry is probably around four years. So when you buy a new car, the technology in that car is probably three years old because it was decided three years ago. I don't believe that works any longer because the technology moves so fast that we need to be able to choose technology closer to the launch of the vehicle. So our technology was chosen this year for everything in the vehicle, whether it's the battery cells, our screen, and a whole bunch of other things, and that's only possible if you have a fast enough development process. So that was a goal from us from the beginning, to be able to go out to the market and say we got a vehicle with class-leading technology, and we have just shown you know, our vehicle has the longest range of any crossover SUV on the planet in this price range. I mean, there is no crossover SUV that has a 340 mile range for under 40, for under $50,000. So, in the top version, over 350 miles. So, you know, but to achieve that, you need to be able to have the latest technology. You also need an in-house team that understand, an in-house engineering team that understand all the different variables that makes a long range. Now, one of the easier way to make a long range is by making sort of a soap bar car that is super aerodynamic and ends up looking like a hatchback or a fastback or, or a sedan looking fastback. But what people really like is an SUV. So the challenge for us was we couldn't just rely on making an aerodynamic soap bar. We have designed a muscular, good looking SUV and therefore we don't have the advantage of the aerodynamics. It's still aerodynamic but never as much as a hatchback. So we had to go in and look at other areas to get the range. So we looked at everything from the tires we developed with Bridgestone to silicon carbide inverters to the super uh, uh, efficient powertrain. We looked at the battery pack together with CHL, how we get it as energy dense as possible. We looked at how we actually create the volume of the battery pack between the wheels in the actual chassis which is also unique so we had to look at all these different elements to get to that long range and that can only happen if you have a really smart in-house engineering team that understand all these elements coming together so you know coming into the bigger business model was we also wanted this car to be affordable and today when you buy a car you know there's the cost of making that car and build the materials but then there's a whole bunch of other thousands of dollars that goes on top of that before it gets to the consumer and we wanted to take some of that out and there's of course dealer margin it's thousands of dollars that are put on top to run your facilities globally I mean somebody has to put the lights on and pay for electricity and taxes on the factories and all that so we said we want to have an asset business model because the goal was to get an affordable vehicle in the market because that's how you're going to make a real impact in the world. Because, you know, at the end of the day, our vision is a clean future for all. And that can only happen if everybody has access to a cool electric vehicle. And that's why we wanted that price of 37500 as a base price. So it took a lot of effort to get down to that price and being able to sell it at this, at this level. And
0: speaking of that, that base price, uh, you know, we, we talked yesterday and uh, you, were, you were explaining um, you know, that pricing versus you know, what you did with the Karma uh, and what a lot of other EV startups are doing you know, going to the high end of the market versus a more mainstream
5: part of the market. Can you explain that strategy again? So I worked in my corporate career at Aston Martin, BMW, and Ford. And what I noticed with the the cultures in different car companies is that it's usually set by kind of where that company established itself, what level in the market. And I think it's pretty clear if you have a huge team working on a $150,000 car, the mentality in that team is we can spend whatever we want. And it's very difficult to change that mentality when you suddenly want to make a $37,500 car because every penny counts. Mm -hmm. And you have to be super innovative about how to cut costs without uh, losing any of the product qualities. So we have created a premium vehicle for a real reasonable price. But it's a huge team effort, not only within the company, but also with the suppliers, long long discussions and redesigning parts to get them cheaper working with the suppliers how do we redesign this part to take two dollars out of it for keeping the quality keeping the look and feel so that that mentality is what I wanted to build up in Fisker and that's why our next vehicle is not a hundred thousand dollar vehicle neither it's actually going to be below thirty thousand dollars and I think we've got the right team to get to that point and later we will come out with a hundred thousand dollar vehicle or maybe more super cool sports car, sexy and all that. But that's not that difficult to do. I've done many of those in my lifetime. And, and you showed I, the the emotion concept a few years ago, which the, was a great example of that. Yeah, and, you know, we, we, we have worked further on that, and we'll probably do something somewhere in that direction. But it's not a priority right now. I want to create an amazing, sustainable car company that also is sustainable business-wise.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give me a, a, a specific example of, you know, something that, was done in the development of the ocean, you know, that uh, helps to bring down that cost without uh, without sacrificing the kind of quality and the, the the feel, the premium feel that you're looking
5: for. So I can give you I can give you one one example of that. Uh, so for example, we did a little internal survey, uh, and with people we knew, people those in the company, you know. And they drove electric cars, you know, what do they like, what do they use? And we found out, at least with the people we serviced, that very few people, when they had a front, the front trunk, actually used it. Um, because, you know, you're kind of opening a hood, and it's just a little odd, you come out from the supermarket and you're opening up your hood, you might as well just open up the trunk, that's what it's there for, and it's probably rare that you've filled up the entire trunk with something, and now you got to use your front. That's at least what we figured out. So we sat down and say, hey, if we, don't, if we don't really need it, what could we do to take out costs? So we realized that in, in a normal hood that you open or a front, you have hinges, latches, you have a latch, you have hinges, you have seals. All that amounted to quite a lot of money. So we decided to do a fixed hood that is just fixed with a couple of screws can be taken off for service, but the customer doesn't need to go under that hood. And we then decided, since we did that, we could even remove some things from that's normally intruding into interior. We could move that out in the front. And then we figured out, when you move things closer to where the energy is coming from or whatever it is, we now save money on the hoses, the lengths of the hoses, etc. So it turned out to be quite a lot of saving to just ditch that front in, in, in this car.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great example. and you know, obviously Tesla has made that concept of the front, you know, something very popular with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know there there are also some very good reasons not to go that direction.
5: You know, we wanted to make a thirty seven thousand five hundred dollar car. Mm-hmm. So you can't put everything in that car. Right. You can do that if you make a you know fifty hundred thousand dollar car. So there is certain things where we have to make some decisions that we don't think we need that particular stuff in the vehicle. Um and, and you know, there's some other areas that I don't even want to point out because you probably would never see it. Yeah. You wouldn't notice it. Now, if I point it out, you well, would notice. The, that's that. the key thing. Is and the that's customers the key thing.
0: Look, yeah. find the things that customers won't notice, yeah. you know, in, in their day-to-day use
5: of the vehicle yeah. that doesn't compromise their experience. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, then there's another example would be that our entire skateboard is aluminum, which is great because it's light and all that. But we decided. We wanted to have a low cost of ownership. One of the issues with having a full aluminum body is you have a very high insurance, and you can see that in some of these aluminum vehicles. The second is when you have a fender bender, it's very expensive to repair. So we decided to go for a steel and composite body uh, that ultimately is lower cost, lower uh, to maintain, uh, in terms of if you do need uh, some repairs, you can get a repair to any body shop. So that was another example where you... Physically, you don't see any difference. Yes, it's a few pounds more, but we didn't feel that that was enough of a justification to raise the the price of the car, and you're going to have a much higher insurance premium.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned earlier about the the various partnerships that you've developed uh, with companies like Bridgestone and CATL. I think one of the key ones, uh, really, for this particular vehicle is your relationship with Magna. And Magna Steer, how's that benefited uh, this effort?
5: Yeah, obviously the benefit there is that you got a organization which is up and running, producing vehicles. They got a, you know, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of engineers that have made many different cars. They have done so many launches with different vehicles. So we are entering into an organization where there's nobody who needs to be taught what to do. They don't need To like ramp up to learn to do something, but if you're an EV startup and you build a factory, you you have to ramp up. You have to teach people, you have to get a supply chain together, you got to, all that is already at MACN. You know, they have the supply network, they know how to get inbound logistics, all that's already done. So it meant that we could be freed up. The Fisker engineers could be freed up to just basically concentrate on developing an amazing car. We didn't have to think so much about manufacturing. We worked very close with Magna. Sure. We also worked with them on the whole virtual build and development of parts, because you obviously want all these parts to go perfectly together. So I think that was a huge advantage for us. And as you said, because they already build hundreds of
0: thousands of vehicles a year at that yeah. factory in Austria, you know they've, they've already got enormous economies of scale, both from components that they produce. Magna already produces... Almost every element almost of car every, for some, the, one, one customer They're the third
5: largest auto supplier in yeah. the world. And they have all these other companies, Magna Seating, yeah. Magna this, Magna that, Magna Lighting. So that was another advantage is that as an EV startup, you also have to go out to suppliers and convince them that you're going to be successful. Convince them that you are going to sell all the vehicles that you say you will and convince them you will start production on time. Because if a supplier buys into your story, but you're one year late, they are losing money because they're about to set up everything to start production, but you're coming back saying story we're late. Now, in our case, of course, having Magna as our manufacturer saying we are going to start at that date has a lot of believability, and especially if they go to another Magna you company, you have a built-in credibility. You're building credibility, and then you go to another Magna company like Magna Lighting and saying, "Hey guys, we need lights, and we're." working with Magna, and here's another Magna company, and now you create all that kind of believability and you move in the same direction. Also, speed-wise, we have to convince all our suppliers to move at our speed and not traditional speed. So that also helped Magna adjust it really quickly to that new type of speed, because they obviously also want to be the leader in the game, ultimately, because that will help them get more business. So it was sort of a good ripple effect... That we had with all the suppliers. So um, your official start of production is scheduled for one year from today.
0: Correct. Um, once vehicles are rolling off the line, although you, you will have you've already got vehicles being produced now, and that's going to ramp up pre-production vehicles for Correct. testing and validation. Correct. But once once you're producing customer saleable
5: vehicles, how are those going to get to customers? So we obviously logistically we have all the shipping everything already figured out from Magna. And we will have two couple of ways to deliver vehicles. Either we'll have we'll have some large distribution centers outside the cities where you can come out and pick up your car, or we will you will be able to get delivered the car at home or at the office. So those are the two we, we don't have you don't want to build dealerships where these vehicles are shipped to and they sit there and expensive, you know, real estate and all that. we, we don't want to do that. That's again coming back to Let's give the customer as much value for the money as possible on the product. Okay. And um, how how will customers buy the vehicle uh, before, so, I mean, before they take like, delivery? Just uh, like on our, our, on our website, FiskerRig.com, or, or directly from the app. Okay. We have already a ton of people that have lo- downloaded our app. You can buy it right there, and you should be able to do everything digitally. You don't have to go anywhere. You can do everything digitally. And then what about service? How is that going to be handled? So service, we already have service partnerships, and that means that you don't have to wait to get service for our car because we already will have hundreds of service facilities because we have done it. We have uh, signed up partners for that. One of them here in the U.S. is Cox Automotive. They have a division called Pivot. They already do service for fleets, et cetera. And then you've got uh, Europe. There's multiple different, depending on which country. Scandinavia, for instance, a group called Mekonomen. So we have already in the middle of signing all these groups up. And basically, uh, we will know, either we will know if your car has an issue, or you will know it and you will send us a note, either through the car or through your app. We'll then book an appointment to come and pick up your car and take it for service and bring it back to you. Okay. And presumably, just as with the
0: logistics of shipping vehicles from the factory to the distribution centers or to customers, um, Magna will also... um, be taking care of getting parts because that's certainly for one of your primary competitors uh, that's been a big complaint of their customers is getting the time it takes to get a lot of parts
5: Uh, yeah I mean we, we we, we are setting up locally in the U.S. of course parts distribution center which we have Magna has a perfect logistics system where they will send all the parts it's all digital now so you will actually when you know you need a part it can go extremely fast I think we should be able to deliver parts within days and not weeks um, I mean, there can always be some very unique part you don't expect, but things like bumpers and stuff that, that is more often an issue because you have a fender bender, those things should be available very fast. All right,
0: well, yeah. having watched you for close to 15 years now, you know, uh, as, as you've uh, tried to uh, establish yourself as an automaker, it's, it's interesting to see how you've learned from the lessons of the past and uh, and this one seems very promising. And um, good luck to you. and Good luck in getting this established. Thank uh, you very much. I think, I think you're off to a good, very good start so far. Thank you.
5: Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Good to see you again. Good to see take you too. Take care. Too.
4: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or Mc sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day.